Welcome, everybody, to our experience, ASCP's podcast. Alongside my tag team partner, Tom Hansel, we are back with another edition of our podcast, Our Experience. Um, I'm Chad, uh, CEO of ASCP. Uh, Tom Hansel is my partner. He is uh, CEO of Hansel Health. And we are really excited to be joined today by Lindsay uh Demowski, who is the co-founder of the Long-Term Care Pharmacy Network, not to be confused with the Long-Term Care Pharmacy Alliance. We'll get through the, the differences of those, but the alliance is something that ASCP leads with NCPA and SCPC on the work, advocacy work to open up the opportunity for pharmacies to participate with patients that are eligible for long-term care pharmacy services at home. Um, but I'll let Lindsay kind of jump in and, and talk about the Long-Term Care Pharmacy Network and what her role is. Welcome, Lindsay. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so as you said, the Long-Term Care at Home Pharmacy Network is uh, led by myself, and um, it's, it basically stemmed from what we were doing uh, at Centennial Pharmacy Services, which is the community pharmacy that that I grew up in, uh, you know, we kind of went into the long-term care space and realized that there was space for long-term care in the community. So um, as this model started progressing, we realized that there were a lot of pharmacies that needed just information about it because it was such a gray space. And so we decided to launch the Long-Term Care at Home Pharmacy Network. Um, we have partners with that in, in uh, PharmaComplete. And uh, it's been really, really great. Um, we have a phenomenal partnership with CPSN, and, and um, you know, essentially, we're able to support pharmacies in a pretty unique way because we um, we have retail pharmacies who want to support the community at a greater capacity. You have long-term care pharmacies that want to move into the community, and um, you know, they're kind of meeting each other in this space. And there's not a lot of information out there about it. So our goal is just to be a centralized hub that provides all that information and make sure that everybody is staying with compliance and, uh, you know, provides, you know, the template compliance material and uh, education and just ongoing information about what's going on with at home because it, it is, you know, it, it, it's changing, it's fluid, it's new. So there needs to be someone out there giving the information. So I guess we took ownership of that. <laughs> Well, I think it's interesting because you watch this industry, you know, I've been in this industry for 20 something years. Um, obviously, long term care pharmacies been around for almost 55 years. And the evolution that business changes happen today is not the way it happened, you know, 50 years ago. Uh, it happens really fast. And it happens, you know, kind of overnight in some capacities. I think we all are aware that the older population is growing. I mean, that demographic shift has been ingrained into us, especially if you've worked in, in uh, senior care pharmacy for a, for a long time. And there aren't space for all of these older adults that are becoming more and more medically complex in our traditional systems like skilled nursing homes, even assisted living, uh, even more specialized programs like PACE. So we're going to be dealing with people that live at home that have advanced multiple comorbidities that require pharmacy services that are beyond what they would get if they walked into a, a community drugstore. So how do we define who those people are? How do we look at the services that are provided to make sure that they cater to those individuals? And then I think 
I think we would all say, most importantly, how do we make sure those services are reimbursed at a fair rate? And that's probably what we spend a lot of our time working on is we know these services exist. We've had compliance packaging systems for a while. Pharmacies in the community and in long-term care use them. That's one component. There are service level components like being available uh, more hours of the day, being available in emergencies, providing consultant pharmacist services. But how do those get paid for? Because in the traditional community model, they're not. So it's sort of that tightrope that we're, we're walking where we have patients coming into a market, we have pharmacy providers available to service, but we need payers, particularly Medicare, um, Medicaid, and the commercial payers to recognize that, hey, they need these services and we should be paying for those services. I mean, that's the crux of it, right? It, it really is. And you actually touch on a, a good point. I think for a long time, the industry wasn't quite sure what to call this model of pharmacy. And I think um, it was medical at home or medications at home was was really taking traction. And uh, to be honest with you, I would have conversations with people and I would be like, hold on, we have to stop saying this because it's confusing. Everyone yeah. takes their medications at home and right. medical at home sounds like you're a doctor. Yeah. So we have to create terminology that is easy for the industry to understand. So when you're talking to the payers, you're talking to CMS, you're talking to a pharmacy, whether it's a closed door or a community pharmacy, they understand that it is long-term care. And, um, you know, long-term care at home and that terminology, it, it truly best reflects the level of service that you're providing that complex patient and how it needs to be paid for. Because you're, you're absolutely right on, on the, the service level, you're providing a greater level of service than you would in a traditional community pharmacy, and it needs to be it needs to be paid for at that rate. Um, you know, at the same time, even though community pharmacy can see higher rates for it, we want to make sure that it's actually being paid at true long-term care rates. And so we want we want to continue pushing and advocating and calling it long-term care at home because that's exactly what it is. You're you're supporting these patients at a long-term care level of service, but they're staying at their in their home or or in in a caregiver's home. No, certainly. I mean, they are long-term care residents. Yep. They just happen to not reside in a nursing home and and you know, we've been preaching this and talking about this for for quite a while, but there's you know, obviously the government's going to take a while to 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 catch up and as they do with 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 everything. But as far as pharmacists go, you know, you and I've talked about this. There seems to almost be, I don't know, I don't know if I want to call it a resistance, but if I'm talking out there to long-term care pharmacies, they, they almost seem like that's just kind of, they kind of push it over there. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it if we have to, you know? And and my comment back to them has been, hey, you, you have a choice to make. There's 4 million people inside of skilled assisted living. There's 13 million people that actually qualify as long-term care, but there's 74 million people come 2030 that are going to need more than just medications. And so, you know, to me, I would just go after where I can get my most bang for my buck. But my question to you is, why do you think that that resistance there for, for long-term care? Uh, I, a couple of things. One, I think it's education in the market on what who this population actually is and, and how you can support it. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we launched a network, to be able to provide that. Um, but second, I think that there has been a lot of gray information out there as far as how this is paid for and and how different aspects of pharmacies can be involved. And I think that more and more 
long-term care pharmacies are starting to realize that when they have a patient, they don't have to lose that patient. Like they can continue to support that patient. And the conversation I have with long-term care pharmacies a lot of time is you already have all of their information. You already know that they're a long-term care patient. Why are you losing the patient? You know, it's, it's, you can continue to, to follow that patient. And I think uh, because you don't necessarily have all of the payers and plans on board paying true long-term care rates for this, I think that the long-term care pharmacies are looking at this and going, eh, is this worth my time? And my argument to that is absolutely, because one, it's coming. Everybody, everyone in the industry realizes, whether you're plan, payer, pharmacy, all everybody realizes that you have to pay attention to this because there's just simply too many patients and there has to be a solution there. So, you know, things are happening that are, are, are creating solutions so that the plans, the payers, and everybody can be aligned on, on what this actually, you know, how this needs to be paid and, and how this can be like a, a, a verified, true, you know, um, pharmacy service for, for pharmacies to participate in. Um, so, one, you want to be prepared for that. You, you don't want to jump into this all of a sudden and, you know, have this be a chaotic workflow introduction just because someone clicked on the switch of paying for it. Um, you know, but, but two, realize that there's this very complex, like environment of new competition in pharmacy, right? Mm -hmm. Long-term care and community pharmacy has never really had to worry about each other. They've always stayed in their own lane and they've never really had to, had to worry about crossing each other's paths, but now they do. So my argument to both the community and the long-term care world is, you know, you you need to make sure that you take ownership of your patient and the patient that you are supporting because you don't only have all of these other competitions like, you know, these these um, these closed networks that the PBMs create where you can only utilize certain pharmacies, or you know, once you lose a patient, you go and they go into a, a facility, you never see that patient again. Um, you know, there's opportunity for you to truly follow the patient and be part of the patient's entire story and entire entire continuum of care. And you want to take ownership of your patient and, and fully support them because, um, you know, there's there's never been an opportunity before for these two sectors to cross paths. And now there is. And it, it right. creates an interesting market. And, and isn't that beyond dispensing prescriptions? Well, I mean, there's so many needs that that patient has at home. Yep. And it, it, so you're, you're obviously going to be compliance packaging the patient. Um, you're going to be offering support to this patient, uh, you know, 24 seven, whenever they may need it, support to the patient, support to the caregiver, support to the provider. Um, you know, you also want to make sure that you are comprehensively taking care of the patient. That means that you are providing consultations, you're doing medication reconciliations and med reviews, chart, chart type reviews. Um, for the patient on a cyclical basis, which isn't necessarily seen in community pharmacy, but is in long-term care. Um, and you're also doing, like, I find at Centennial that we, we tend to do a lot of, like, transition of care support, which is another tricky term in pharmacy because there's opportunities for different types of payments, but just at a, at a very high level, um, you know, you are seeing this patient in and out of different types of of whether it's a facility or if it's dialysis or if it's with different home care agencies or therapists that are coming into the home, the pharmacy is really that quarterback who is interacting with all of these different aspects of the patient's care. So you have a real opportunity to provide that coordination, whether it be just with 
with the, the different community providers or the transition of care, um, you know, you find yourself involved more with the patient and with what's going on in their entire healthcare ecosystem, hmm. not just in your little pharmacy environment. Yeah, I think it's interesting you bring that up because I, I mean, I, I go back to we have 57 million people over the age of 65 by 2030, which is now arguably inside of six years away. Um, we're going to have 74 million people. That's basically a 50%. Let's just round it up. 50% more people. And I am fascinated by pharmacy. I know they're competitive. All business is competitive. They tend to get wrapped around the axle of worrying about that competition more than recognizing that there's going to be so much opportunity that the best answer is how do we collaborate? How do we work together? You know, maybe I am a long-term care pharmacy and I don't want to do at-home patients. That's fine. Yeah. Find a partner because there's a centennial pharmacy out there or somebody that's going to say, I'd love to work with you. I'll take all of your discharge patients. I'll pick them up when they head to the community and go home. There are ways to work this that don't, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It doesn't have to be servicing both sides of the, of the long-term care space. Now that there's this community component, it doesn't have to be that way. You, certainly you could want to do it all and work your pharmacy structure to be able to service in both environments, but there's also room for other ways of doing it. And I think that's the approach we need to be talking about is how do we work together as an industry so that the government, the Medicare, the, the commercial payers say, yeah, we need to provide this service. We don't care how you do it or who does it, but these services need to be paid for. And they're all the front kinds of services that pharmacies can provide. Um, because ultimately, again, that's what we want. We want to be fairly reimbursed for doing something. And yep. if you're doing compliance packaging and you're doing medication admission re review in the community and nobody's paying for it, that's, that's, you know, that's something we have to work on. We don't, we don't want people to be in that position. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And it, it's funny that you say that because there's a lot of people who have come up to me, especially in, in recent months and said, you know, why are you doing all this? You're, you know, what, what's going on here? And you're right. I mean, there, there is, there are plenty of patients. And when you have that many people who are 65 and older, there are going to be different levels of support that they need. There's going to be different opportunities for different pharmacies to excel in different areas. You're going to see pharmacies or you're going to see patients who need more comprehensive services in, in the home, like say maybe point of care testing right. that I, don't, I have no interest in doing that. So at that point, I'm going to have to reach out to another pharmacy and say, let's partner in this. Right. Um, I, I have long said that, particularly your independent pharmacies worry so much about each other and they they don't they don't think about working together and right. how they can progress the industry um, and i mean this is one of those things where we do we all have to work together because there's so much there's so much happening with making sure that we are paid fairly and i think fairly is the appropriate word because there's there's I don't think a pharmacy is necessarily looking at this and going, you know, I, I want to be paid these rates for every single patient that walks through my door. I think you just look at the level of service that you're providing and you're looking at it from a business standpoint of what that's costing you. And you're going, I'm not going to be able to support this patient if I'm not paid properly for this. Right. I, I, I need, I need some type of proper reimbursement. And I think we've, we've, to some degree, I feel like we've experienced this to some degree with vaccination services. You know, before COVID, long-term care pharmacies did not 
provide vaccination services. They were suppliers, but they weren't vaccinators. During COVID, they became vaccinators. Um, and some of them want to go back to not being vaccinators anymore. But there's all kinds of reimbursement structures that have evolved, not to where we want them, but they've evolved a little bit to where there are some opportunities providing vaccines to people in their homes, providing vaccines to people in assisted living, where there are reimbursement structures that are better that benefit pharmacy should they choose to deliver that kind of a service. Um, and I think so you're seeing it play out really in two areas, but playing out in a similar fashion. Like we're working to make sure there's opportunity for pharmacists to vaccinate. It's up to you, pharmacy, to determine if you want to participate in that opportunity. And we're gonna, that doesn't mean we're going to say, oh, we got you the ability to vaccinate. I know reimbursement sucks, but too bad. No, we're going to fight for the right reimbursement. But then you have to yeah. decide if you want to play in the sandbox or not. And if you don't, again, go find a farm. Well, I think with vaccinations, pharmacies will find a way to service people that want vaccination service if you're not willing to do it. And that's fine. That should be fine. Um, Again, it's a it's a willingness to work together and be responsible for something like vaccination or long-term care pharmacy services at home where you're recognized as the place to go to get that service. So, I, I mean, I think that's where we're headed. Yeah. That's where we need to be headed um, as a profession um, and as a, a service industry. Um, so I think it's that's where we need to go. So, Lindsay state of the industry we talked about now you know i'd like to have people put on their their forecasting hat their predicting hat and and you know it's we understand that we can't always assume that the government's going to respond the industry is going to respond but based on what you see happen to this point and what you think is going to be happening over the next year two years is it really just about okay let's just wait for reimbursement and then get in it or can we encourage pharmacies let's get in now let's be be dressed and ready to go let's be standing at the plate so when that when that reimbursement does come then then we're ready to go uh i am in the camp of let's be dressed and ready to go and i, like that. I think that there's i think that there's different pathways i think you can look at this and go we can get higher reimbursements and dispensing fees but I also think that there's a lot of opportunity because of the way you're supporting the patient that you can potentially build different types of value-based contracts. And Absolutely. I think that gets really interesting with pharmacies because it, it lets you be paid for the value that you're providing instead of just dispensing those meds. Right, because they're going to tell me, hey, I don't want to do this because it's my delivery costs go up and now I have to deliver to 200 addresses versus one address of a nursing home. Or, hey, you know, my, my packaging costs go up. And they, they give me all the reasons why that is. But, you know, what you're saying here is don't just look at it, just the reimbursement on dispensing alone. You've got other reimbursement opportunities to maybe even pay you higher than you're getting paid for that long-term care resident. Is that fair? It is. And, I mean, to be honest, I'm pretty biased, right? Because you're talking to the girl here who sat in her retail pharmacy with declining reimbursements and massive DIR fees and fought and fought and fought and fought that this is this is the population and I am going to just stay right here, support this population, provide this level of service and hope that I get paid for this because I want people to recognize it. And I want plans and payers to recognize it. And we got to a, to a point where it, it, it was recognized and it may not be recognized in ways that in, in the exact reimbursement that we wanted, it may not be recognized, you know, 
full industry across the board, but everybody is talking about it. And if everyone is talking about it, then we know that we're going to be able to create pathways for payments, however that looks. Yeah. And that goes back to the long-term care network. It's not just about education. It's really about collaboration, right? Correct. About all of us coming together, supporting the greater cause. Yep. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if, I'm having a conversation with a plan or a payer and I say, hey, I'm doing this at my community pharmacy and it's really great and my outcomes look phenomenal. Okay, great. You know, that good good for us. But if I can have a conversation with a plan and a payer and I can say, hey, there's there are a group of pharmacies who are doing this in a compliant way who understand what this model is and how these patients need to be supported, let's create pathways for fair payment for these pharmacies. Um, you know, that is really where I would like the conversation to go eventually. I want to be able to provide that education, to provide that support, to create a, a collaborative environment for these pharmacies to support each other, and then eventually be able to say, okay, let's, you know, let's see what we can do in regards to reimbursement and different types of contracting for this. Rising tide rises all ships, right? That's yeah, right. exactly. Absolutely. Well, I think it's that, that it comes back to something that I think I've always thought, at least in, since I've gotten here to ASCP, is that, um, you know, provider status is a very, uh, it's a phrase that I think all pharmacists can identify with. We, we seek provider status. And I think what I've learned is that we may eventually get something that ceremoniously feels like we are now providers. But the reality is it's going to be sort of a death by a thousand cuts. It's going to be, oh, we're going to get paid for these services that we can provide um, if you know the ecaps legislation goes through it's test treat vaccinate that's going to provide provider level reimbursement for pharmacists it's the changes in incident to billing where we could collaborate with a physician and be able to bill some of those services it's going to be where mtm does make sense for pharmacies so it's going to be this sort of collection of reimbursement methods that equivocates to provider status that is not solely related to product that eventually is going to lead pharmacies out of sort of the the position that you just described where you're you're under the declining uh, revenue declining reimbursement sort of thumb of the of the insurance industry we're, we're going to find yeah. our way out through these multiple paths pathways which together represent real reimbursement opportunity yeah i i agree and uh I think that provider status is needed for pharmacists. There's no, absolutely no sure. reason why pharmacists should not have provider status. 100%. Same, same topic. I probably unpopular opinion. I hate talking about provider status right. because I think that it 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 rings so many negative bells for everyone else in healthcare because they think that pharmacists are trying to steal opportunities away from them. Yep. That. I think what pharmacists can actually achieve with provider status gets lost in the conversation because you have too many loud voices arguing against it. Mm -hmm. So as much as I, I truly, truly, truly believe that pharmacists should have provider status and I want that and I think it's kind of crazy that, that pharmacists don't have provider status, the conversation of provider status just drives me crazy because it gets caught up on that one word and and so many things get lost in translation. Um, I think that there are, are opportunities, like you said, where pharmacists are going to be able to be paid as if there was full board provider status without needing to really pass true legislation or, or you know, kind of create tension in the healthcare industry by having that word provider. 
Yep. And again, I think it's kind of crazy that that it, it's even an argument, but it is. And sometimes you have to, um, I don't know, sometimes I think that we just have to focus on how, like, what is the level of support that we're providing? What can we actually do? And, um, you know, do we have to, do we have to create all this tension with it? Can we just make sure that we, that we do this? And maybe by, by doing it, we can prove that, hey, you can call us a provider and, and we're not going to step on your toes. We're going to work with you. Um, but I still think there's a long way to go with that. I, I just think that there's, there's too many, too many voices in the conversation that are against it. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, but I think, I think that's why the current piece of legislation has opportunity because it doesn't, yeah. it's, it's ECAPS, it's test, treat, vaccinate. It's not provider, even though buried, yeah. in, buried in there, it's provider. <laughs> But to, on the surface, it's test, treat, vaccinate, and it comes on the heels of an environment where pharmacists stepped up and tested, treated, and vaccinated. So exactly. from, a, from a congressional perspective, it's, oh, yeah, you guys saved us during COVID. Like, you, you did all the things. Doctor's offices were closed, but pharmacies were open. Like, we're still able to yeah. look back on that from the perspective of influence and say, hey, you need to make this so that we're prepared for the next pandemic, prepared for the next thing. This is where people go to get their services. And that becomes the, the tipping point for all of the other things that we want to achieve as pharmacists and bill for is, okay, their foot's in the door now. We got ECAPs. Now we can go back and say, what about diabetes? What about chronic care management? What about everything else? Uh, maybe even what about people that live at home with multiple comorbidities that need yeah. services? I mean, that's where this leads. And I think it's a good direction. And I honestly, I, you know, we were talking about provider status in 1996 when I was graduating from pharmacy school. I know the history, but I really think we're close this time. I really believe we're close this time. Um, did you we, say did you say 1966? Yeah, right. Pharm- it was it was last century. I can say that. The, but the, the reality of it is, is is either they're going to have to make that decision. The government's got to move in that direction now, or there's going to be lots of people in rural areas that are going to desperately need help that aren't going to be able to get to their doctor to drive to that area that are going to be, you know, not able to be mobile. And the pharmacist sitting there in their hometown, easy and ready, readily available to help, but can't. And so one of it's, if that's eventually going to happen, the question is, is the government going to get there before we have a bunch of, you know, issues and, and, and unnecessary deaths across the nation? Yeah, you, you know, as yeah. you, as you often do, Tom, you'll say something that, that is inspiring to me. Um, but you, you, that's a good point you make about rural America, because, when you think about the threats, you know, we don't, we don't think about the threat being the next, it's not going to repeat. We're not going to have another COVID per se, but what if we had a grid failure or what if we had something that disrupted the ability of people to, to get medical care? Maybe it's, you know, a rolling power outage that lasts longer than a week. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to their drugstore. They're going to go in town and they might have power but they have people and they have medications and they have the ability to, to provide care. And that's what we need to be prepared for is the, maybe it's episodic. It's not the whole country at the same time, but that's what we need to be thinking about. And who can do that? The people that are within five miles of all of the population, which are the pharmacists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I talk about this with my dad a lot, actually, and we've always laughed about how, like, pharmacists, I think, sometimes are afraid to ask for things, 
And I think, you know, COVID kind of put us at a point where we were like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> we're doing a lot here. Yeah, right. Healthcare. We finally pushed we, too far. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> hold my coffee. I'm going after this. Yeah. But I mean, there were, especially, you know, my pharmacies in Pennsylvania. And I mean, there's so many areas of Pennsylvania that just has nothing. And it's kind of funny because Pennsylvania gets broken up into like, Philly and Pittsburgh, and yeah. you don't really think about what's in between. The holy a lot. city and the dark side. We already talked about. Right, that. we did <laughs> talk about this. Yeah. Pittsburgh, the holy city, and then everywhere else. <laughs> uh, but I mean, there were so many pharmacies that were quite literally driving hours to make sure that someone had a blood pressure reading during COVID because their doctor didn't want to give another refill, and they weren't coming into the office or the office wasn't open. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's just, you know, I think. I think it's I think it's time for for pharmacies to really be acknowledged and stand up for themselves and and get fair payment. It goes right back to fair reimbursement. Just yep. just reimburse us fairly. Hundred percent. Well, my inspiration comes from this girl, Lindsay Damaski. She was on the front cover of Twenty Ways just a couple months ago, and the Arts <laughs> Insider magazine. And so, my question to you, Lindsay, is: Did you know that sometime in your life you're going to be a cover model? Was that was that part of your plan, or did this just happen? That was that was not part of my plan. Um, but you know, it was it was interesting because uh, they had asked me to to write the the article, and then after the article, they were like, "We don't have anyone for the cover. Would you be interested?" And I was like, "Well, depends. How much Photoshop do you allow on your cover? Because I <laughs> I, I want to make sure that my image is out there how I want it out there." So image control. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how the big wigs do it. That's you know, right. The big models, That's right. They can control it all. We need that so here. It was, it was a really, really neat opportunity. And it was at a funny time, too, because um, it, it, that happened to be the, um, the, the magazine that was printed for the NCPA conference. And I had a bunch of different like education and, and seminars and stuff that I was doing during NCPA. And I had people coming up to me, and they were asking me to autograph the front cover nice. of... of Insider 20 ways. Oh, that's funny. I never thought that this was going to be where I ended up. If the modeling career doesn't work out, I think you might have a chance in pharmacy. I just want to throw that out there. Give you a recommendation. I think you're right. I definitely my backup. (laughs) I don't think, Tom, have we ever been asked for an autograph from the podcast? I don't, I feel like we haven't. (laughs) I've been ran away from when I was walking around the microphone. People ran in the opposite direction. That's happened. Krista, we yeah. need we need first of all we need image control. Could you work that in? I don't always uh, contribute to episodes, but I will at this point in time. No, they have never been asked for an autograph. Thank you, appreciate that. Krista, if you want to put hair on me or you know yeah. darken my beard, you know yeah. make me look younger, hipper. Oh, yeah, I'll, ch- I'll do my best. <laughs> well, Lindsay, what what what's a parting shot? What do you want the audience to leave today with, other than? A fun conversation. Well, I mean, we're just talking about fair reimbursement and how we have to stick up for ourselves. So I guess I don't want to say just keep on keeping on and, you know, do it no matter, (laughs) do long-term care at home no matter what. Um, What I do want to say is I believe that there is a real need in pharmacy. Um, Not scratch that. There's a real need in healthcare for these chronically ill patients who want to stay home or are forced to stay home because there's simply no room in facilities. 
to be supported. And I think that pharmacy is the most equipped to be able to support them. So if, if we can find pathways to, to do long-term care at home in a way that is supported wholeheartedly by the industry with the proper documentation, the proper service sets, um, and you know, pharmacies are being paid fairly for it and being reimbursed at the proper rates that they need to be to provide long-term care service, even if it's in the community. Um, I think that this has a real opportunity to be able to um, you know, push the industry in the right direction from both sides of it, from the community and the long-term care side. Um, I, I think that everybody needs to be aware that it's out there and be educated on the topic. And even if it's not something that they absolutely want to jump into right now, it's something that has to be on their radar in the near future because it's coming. Yeah, and I think this this year in particular is is silly season. It's an election year. And I think one thing that business owners, pharmacies included, don't think about is what their influence is on these elections. And the reality is I don't, you know, it's not about Republican or Democrat, but it's about getting somebody on the record that's running on how they feel about pharmacy or how they feel about services. And I think it's up to those business owners in those zip codes and cities that have Senate races and U.S. Congress races, which is everybody, and say, oh, how do you feel about pharmacy? I mean, healthcare is a big deal. Um, and making sure that they, those candidates understand where their constituent pharmacies and the influence those pharmacies have on voters stand in relation to some of these issues. And I think we have to get out there and, and do that. We have to call people out. Like, hey, how do you feel about long-term care services at home? Or how do you feel about the fact that people that are older at home need more advanced kinds of services so that they're on record? And if they win and they get in here, we don't have to fight so hard to get their you know, support on pieces of legislation or voting on pieces of legislation. So um, this year's big for that. And you do have a lot of influence as a constituent business owner and or pharmacist and or person um, at, at making sure those conversations get out there. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's, it's funny because I never really had an opportunity except in the past, uh, you know, two years or so that we've been involved with the Alliance to to understand how legislation and everything worked. And it has been such an eye-opening experience and a really, really neat part of my career personally, because I look at this and I'm like, this is pretty amazing. I never, I never realized how much people actually thought about pharmacy and healthcare. I think we've always kind of, as, as pharmacies, you think about it as kind of this like neglected part of healthcare, but it's really not. You're absolutely right. I mean, there's so many people who look at this as, as um, a, a different pathway and, and a different way for healthcare to evolve. And I think that we have to take ownership of that. And we need to make sure that, you know, everybody who has the power to make a law understands what pharmacies can actually do. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, or fortunately, I mean, we have the best system in the world. I'll always say that, but it does come down to power, money, and influence. I mean, that's what it comes down to. And if those candidates and even the constituents today don't understand what pharmacy is doing, can do, and how it influences communities, then they're not going to necessarily align all the time with pharmacy. It's great to have Buddy Carter and um, Diane Harshbarger in Congress. They're pharmacists. They understand. But most of the people of influence on the Ways and Means Committee and on the HELP Committee in the Senate, they're not pharmacists. 
and they need to be told why it's important to them. And you sometimes you sit there and you hope that they have a mom or a dad in a nursing home or that's struggling with some health conditions so they understand where the pharmacy plays a role. Um, and you don't always get that. So it, we got to make it out front to them and make them understand how it influences the people that may or may not be voting for them uh, so that it becomes an issue uh, for them to support. Yeah. For sure. Absolutely. Great way to end. Thank yep. you, Lindsay. Yeah, I this was awesome, Lindsay. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll see everybody next time on another episode of Our Experience. Thanks, everybody. Mm -hmm.